Good morning, everybody. How are we today? Great. Hey, let's stand. Oh, that is not on the right slide. Okay. Um, Abby, will you read that for me? Oh, there we go. There we go. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Listen, in Job 19:25, it says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And I wanted to read that this morning because this is the end of 2023. Tomorrow starts 2024. And no matter what, what happened in 2023, let's just leave it behind. Because we know that in the end of all, King Jesus stands on the earth and he rules and he reigns. So let's welcome in 2024 with that promise in our hearts. And let's praise our King this morning. I'll praise in the valley. I'll praise on the mountain. I'll praise when I'm sure, and I'll praise when I'm doubting. I'll praise when outnumbered, I'll praise when surrounded. Cause praise is the water, my enemies drowning. As long as I'm breathing, I've got a reason to praise.
lift up his name, church. Give praise to our King this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. If you're new here, we have ministry cards that we would love for you to fill out today. Um, Just let us know who you are. And uh, if you have a prayer request, you know, fill that out. Church, you know, you know, you know the deal. We love getting to pray for you. We will pray for you. And staff, meaning the elders will pray over you. So let us know what's going on in your life. And, uh, you know, at this time, let's just be a friendly church. Let's turn and say hello.
Let's rejoice as though heaven had lost. Come on, sing this out. But think Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. As we death was arrested in my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new now. Life begins with you. for this freedom in Christ church. Amen. So am I. So am I. You all can have a seat. Well, glory to God. I'm Trevor, one of the pastors here, and I am not preaching the sermon today. I get a week off, but I am going to officiate the Lord's Supper. And so first thing I want to say is this Wednesday is first Wednesday for January, and it's a big one. We want you to be here to know about that uh, because we're going to begin our first teaching series of the year, and it's a, it's a church-wide campaign called 29 Days of Promise. We're going to have five Sundays in a row where, 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 we, where we preach about one of the promises of God and what they mean to the believer and the unbeliever, and so you want to be here Wednesday night, and we start that series next Sunday, but... It's the series after that that I want to let you know about quickly, and that is going to be three weeks uh, on the Lord's Supper after 29 Days of Promise. But there are four passages in the, about the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, and so I can't do four and three, so you're getting a streamlined version of the first one today right before we uh, do the, uh, participate in the Lord's Supper together. So Matthew has the Lord's Supper in his gospel. 
So does Mark. So does Luke. And so does Paul in 1 Corinthians. And so today, I want to talk about grace at the king's table in Matthew. It's cliche, but the theme of the book of Matthew is that Jesus is the king. But the reason cliches become cliches is because there's truth in them. And so, did you know that 25% of all the references in the New Testament to the word king, to the word kingdom, and to the word reign are found in Matthew's gospel? He wants you to know that Jesus is king. And I want us to remember how Jesus introduced the last words that he spoke in Matthew's gospel. We named our church after it. We call our church uh, Great Commission Church. And it's to go in all the world and make disciples of all the people groups you know, and baptizing them. But how does he start it? He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, which means there is no more powerful king than Jesus. So in Matthew's account of the Lord's Supper, Jesus predicts his crucifixion, and then he predicts his death. And what will the charge leveled against him be? that he's the king of the Jews. So, here's my question. If Matthew emphasizes the kingship of Jesus, and I've just demonstrated to us that it does, then how should we understand his account of the Lord's Supper in light of Jesus being the king? Well, there's two answers to that that I'm going to give us today. Number one, you need to know this. Kingship in the Bible is not really about power. It's more about serving and so we know this all the way back in the Old Testament when God set up the standards that he gave us for what his kings would be like. In Deuteronomy, God says that kings must not multiply three things. They must not multiply horses. They must not multiply wives. And they must not multiply gold. Because if you multiply horses, it makes you stronger militarily. If you multiply wives, it makes you stronger politically. And if you multiply gold, it makes you stronger economically. God says, my kings don't do that because if they do, they'll stop trusting in me. And then we learn in 1 Samuel that at God's initiative, the king first delivers his people by offering himself, and then he begins to reign. You know that in the story of David and Goliath. Because no one had the courage to stand up for the name of the Lord God against that nine feet, nine inch monster until the little teenage David came along. And he says, I'll do it for the name of my God. And if he kills me, he kills me. First, David offered his own life and then he became king. My brothers and my sisters at the table in Matthew, at the Passover, when Jesus is looking all 12 of the apostles in their eyes he first offers his own body, and he says, this, this bread is my body. And then he offers his own blood. He says, this blood is, is, my blood is the blood of the new covenant. And he says, I'm going to give those to you, and after that, I'll begin to reign and be the king. You see, my brothers and my sisters, when we come to this table today, it's the table of a suffering ruler. It's not the feast of the powerful. So kingship in the Bible, not really about power, more about serving. And number two, and here's the best part, this king welcomes failures to his table. If you read about Matthew's account of the Lord's Supper, it's in Matthew 26. 
It's in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. But Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30, is the middle of the sandwich. Sandwiched in between the Lord's Supper are two other passages. The first one, Matthew 26, verses 21 through 25, Jesus predicts that Judas will betray him. And the second one, Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35, Jesus predicts that all his disciples will abandon him, and Peter will deny him three times. All of that is on purpose. You'll reject me, I'll give you a new covenant. You'll abandon me. You see, even though Jesus knew ahead of time that all his disciples would fail him when he needed them the most, he still did not expel them from the covenant meal, the Lord's Supper. Why did he do that? Because the Lord's Supper belongs to the new covenant. That's the agreement that God has made with us, where he does all the work and we get all the benefit. And the new covenant has never been about human performance. It's never been about how obedient we are. We don't come to this table today because we had a great week spiritually. If you had a terrible week spiritually and you belong to Jesus, you come to this table, that's the point. You see, it appears that Jesus always preferred the company of sinners over the self-righteous. Matthew said it, Matthew 9, 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So here's a king who prefers those who fail over those who succeed. The only people worthy to come to the Lord's table are those who are unworthy. Because the first time he instituted the Lord's Supper, he was surrounded by fishermen and tax collectors, and they all would abandon him and deny him and betray him. My brothers and my sisters, these are the ones that Jesus invites to the table. He calls them to the fellowship of the suffering servant so that they will be able to eventually participate in the fellowship of the triumphant king. That's the Lord's Supper in Matthew. And those are going to be our thoughts as we come to the table today. So look, if you're born again, if you've been baptized after you believed, and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then he, he welcomes you to the table. And everyone Jesus welcomes, we welcome. And so you're able to come here today. But if you have your own personal conviction that you receive the Lord's Supper only at your church and you're visiting, you, you're free to do that. There'll be no judgment on us. I, that's what I, typically I do. Um, if you have young children with you and they're, they're, not, they're yet to be baptized, bring them to the table. Show them what this is about. Don't let them participate so that they'll know that they're missing the gospel and they can be saved. It's an evangelistic moment. This is time that we worship the Lord. You know that the first church centered their whole gospel meeting around the meal. This is why we do this three out of our four Sundays a month. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, all, all the elders and ushers get in place, and then we will observe the Lord's table. Father, we thank you that Jesus is our king, and that kings offer meals to those that are special to them. And God, we thank you today that we're special to you because of the cross and because of your grace. And so, Lord, thank you for, for welcoming failures to your table. In Jesus' name, and the Faithfield Church said...
after hearing that, after hearing that sermon, oh yeah, you're not standing. Oh, let's stand. After, after hearing what Trevor said, aren't you just, just even more grateful for King Jesus? I, I'm just, I'm blown away that, that he welcomes the failures. I'm thankful for that. So let's sing some more together.
We thank you for the work of the cross, Lord Jesus.
praise and all the honor because you are worthy of it all and how we praise your name king jesus amen y'all can have a seat amen amen thank you everyone for singing with us my name is jacob by a show of hands who's going to make it up till midnight tonight the early service i was expecting it to be slim who thinks they're going to make it up but is convinced they're going to fall asleep they're going to try though you're going to try oh yeah Who's just committing and saying, I ain't doing that, I'm going straight to sleep. There they are. There's my early service. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, we are, um, I really enjoy the thought of a new year, especially after the year the church had in 2023. It was fantastic, wasn't it? If you've been a part and in, in, in the workings, man, it has been so exciting. And so I am looking forward to 2024 because here's what I know. We're going to tell more people about Jesus in 2024. We're going to see more people baptized in 2024. We're going to see a bigger kingdom impact in 2024. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a big part of that. I want to make sure that I'm ready. I want to be prepared. I'm, I'm asking God, God, whatever you need from me, I'm here. I want to do that. Um, I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to be the vessel that that happens. I want to walk someone through the gospel randomly everywhere I go. I always want to be ready, and I want to watch them get baptized. And so today, when Trevor asked me, he's like, hey, go ahead and uh, prepare a sermon, whatever you want to speak about, go ahead. And I thought, what a great day it would be to do like a train the army day. There are 53 Sundays this year. Usually it's, you know, 52. We get an extra Sunday. And I thought, what if we train the army, which is the church today? So I, here's what I want to do. 
I want to give you an easy tool that's going to serve you well in 2024. Um, real practical. Today, I'm going to teach you an easy way to share the gospel of Jesus with anyone that asks. Uh, there are four images, and those images are like stopping points for the gospel. I'm a very visual learner, so this is fantastic for me. Um, I have an ADHD mind, and I will go all over the place. Uh, I mean, there are times I'm in the habit of starting a conversation with an objective, and then all of a sudden I'm in a deep conversation about five reasons why Taco Bell is not a real Mexican restaurant, and I'm like convinced, and all of a sudden I'm like, where did we, why did we, why are we talking about this? So there's my mind. So the images are helpful. They're stopping points, right? Um, helps me keep in track. Does anyone else have a random ADHD mind? You just kind of, oh, okay, well, I'm in good company. How about that? Um, I'm talking about you're exhausted at the end of a long day, you think, I'm going to bed early. This is going to be great. I'm going to get a good night rest. You start dozing off, and then your mind says, hey, have you ever thought about, and then it's on. And then you got to start Googling stuff, right, because you just don't know. Like, why do I close my eyes when I sneeze? These are the questions. What happens if I try to open my eyes when I sneeze? What's going to happen? Where does my hair grow from, and why is it different than my eyebrows and eyelashes? I'm thankful that those are different hairs. Or how do my lungs keep breathing even when I don't think about it? And then all of a sudden you start thinking about it and it becomes hard to breathe, right? Because right at this very moment, your liver and your kidneys and your saliva glands and your hearts, all the things, they're all working to keep your body going and you can't even switch them on or off. And I love that. All of these random thoughts always make me think about Jesus and how great our creator truly is. George Gallup, the famous statistician, said, I could prove God statistically. Take the human body alone. The chance that all of the functions of the individual would just happen is a statistical monstrosity. And I'll even quote Charles Darwin this morning. He said this, to suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I fairly confess, absurd in the highest degree. You see, you were created on purpose. What if your ears faced backwards or your nose was upside down? Could you imagine um, uh, uh, the rainstorm that would happen if it's raining and your nose is upside down? I mean, it would just be awful. Showers would be horrible. Um, Okay, these, this is my mind, right? I apologize, but it's just going to come out from time to time. But the point is, you were made on purpose. Yes. Everything was uh, uh, created by God on purpose. Uh, one more random keep you awake at night thought, and then I'll tell you why I'm telling you all of this. I, I do have a reason, I promise. How is it that a brown cow eats green grass, which turns into white milk, then yellow butter, which is eaten by a man who grows red hair and has blue eyes. <laughs> How in the world does a cow turn grass clippings into milk? That's my point. And then a little churning, you can turn it into butter. Imagine if you were able to invent a machine that could turn your grass clippings into milk. And the cow does it easily. And if it's so simple, you need to invent this, make your millions. I even have a name for it. It's the lawnmower. <laughs> All right? That one was for Randy. 
God's, God is the creator, and he is amazing. How does he get a cow to make milk that gives us substance? Did you know that the same God that makes all that stuff happen that I just talked about created you in his image, and he loves you, and he wants you to know him? Creation reflects the genius of the creator's hand. And today I'm going to teach you just an easy way to share the gospel, and that's how it starts, talking about creation and um, how God loves you. Uh, the gospel presentation, like I said, it has four symbols, four phrases. It's in your worship guide if you want to follow along. Uh, we've trained our basketball coaches uh, in this method. They all have these, these bracelets with the image on them so that the, uh, our kids' basketball league, we can walk our kids through the gospel. Our halftime devotionals be pointing to all this. Super on purpose. Our kids are memorizing these Bible verses. Our teenagers have been trained in this method. The idea is that you can point to a picture on your wrist and go through the gospel point by point and keep you on track. It helps guide you through the gospel. I like this method because it can be as quick as you need it to be if you're in line at a CVS chit-chatting with someone, or you can be as complex as you need it to be. You can sit down with a friend at a restaurant, or we can go through the, uh, we're going to teach a sermon through this, and so it can be as complex as you might need it to be. Um, it should be in your worship guide. I'm going to go through it briefly, and then we'll dive in and hit all the points. So here's how it goes. The, the heart symbol stands for God loves you. He created you. Uh, you were, he created you in his image, unique from anything else in creation. He is real and wants you to know him. And then the next symbol is the divided sign. Sin separates you. Not trusting God and ignoring his ways is called sin in the Bible. Sin damages relationships with people and God. Sin leads to eternal death. And then the cross. Jesus rescues you. At the cross, Jesus took your place and paid the penalty that your sins deserve. He secured eternal life by conquering death through the resurrection. And finally, the question mark, will you trust Jesus? This involves agreeing that you're sinful and turning away from your wrong view of Jesus. Believe and confess that Jesus is Lord, surrendering your life to him. That's the four gospel presentation. Simple, easy. It's a great starting point, a great launching point. And I love the idea that there's four images because it syncs up with the four more culture here at Great Commission. If you're not familiar with that, is um, basically we have uh, this, it's called four more. It's who are the four more people I want to see in, in, in the kingdom of God? Who are the four people that I'm constantly praying for and, and with, thinking I want to have spiritual conversations with these four people? I want to invite these people to church. I want to share the gospel with these people. Man, and when I get to heaven, I want them to be there waiting on me, or I want them to see me when we get to heaven. Those are my four. It's people who, can, who are within driving distance of the church. It's, it's people we're very on purpose with. And so you have the four more, and then we have a, a quick four gospel presentation that we can share with them. I do have uh, lots of these left over. You're welcome to them. If, if you're captivated by this and you think, I want to tell people about Jesus, uh, you can go in the lobby at the information table. Take one of these, wear them. And I, but I've got to warn you, if you wear one of these, someone's going to ask you what it is. Okay? Especially if you start asking God, say, God, would you give me opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus with someone? He's going to give it to you. And so one of my New Year's resolutions is, God, give me people to share the gospel with. Make it super easy because I'm stubborn as can be. Let them just ask me about the bracelet, and I'm committed. I'm going to share the gospel with them. Uh, Drew, uh, if you haven't met Drew and Rachel, they're fantastic. He has a story that when we, after the Freedom Conference, he was telling me about it. 
and he wrote it down. And I'm going to share that story with you, okay? He says, uh, it was after the Freedom Conference I had a gentleman stop me in Home Depot. He saw the four bracelet. He's one of our coaches, and so he already has one of these. He asked if he could talk to me for a little bit. He told me that he was having troubles at home with his marriage. Told me about past relationships and things in his past he was not proud of. Everything I learned from the Freedom Conference came to my mind. Praise God for that. I told him to pray for his soul ties from past relationships to be broken and move on from them. Pray that the things in his past will not be a burden on him or his family anymore. That's his, that his anxiety goes away and that he and his wife will be happy and not speak of divorce. He had a lot of built-up tension that he was getting off his chest to a person he doesn't know, but he knew I believed in God and that I put my trust in him. I was able to speak clearly and directly to him about the Lord. We talked for 30 minutes in Home Depot and had a prayer. He said he already felt better, and the advice that I gave him, he would go home and tell his wife. How about that? God will give you these supernatural um, uh, encounters. We just have to be aware of it. So here's how you start. God loves you. I like to start there because it's easy. It's, uh, everyone likes to hear those words. It's the good news before the bad news, basically. God created you in his image. Humans are unique from anything else in creation. He is real and wants you to know him. Genesis 1.27 is the verse that I would go to. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, human life was created in the image of God. The image, uh, this image was imparted only to humans, nothing else in creation. An image here is used figuratively. God does not have a human form, but being in God's image means that humans share, though imperfectly, in God's nature, that is, uh, his communicable attributes, life, personality, uh, truth, love, wisdom, these things we understand, justice, And so we have the capacity for spiritual fellowship with him, the creator. Humans are created uniquely from any other part of creation. We are image bearers. Now, if the incredibly brilliant creative force made all things, then it is not only infinitely more intelligent than the ones who he created, but he's also familiar with those that he created. Every single one of the hundreds of thousands of hairs on the average non-bald head, he is familiar with. God loves you. He created you in his image, unique from anything else in creation. He is real and wants you to know him. The next of the four verses uh, is John 3.16. Super familiar, and it answers this question. How do we know God loves us? As if being created in his image and seeing creation were not enough, how can we know it? John 3.16 goes like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is probably one of the most famous verses In all of the Bible, if someone knows one Bible verse, it's probably this one Bible verse. John 3.16 is very familiar. God's love 
is chiefly displayed in the death of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to focus on one word from this one verse, and it's the smallest word in there. It's the word so. For God so loved the world that he gave. That word so is like a hinge in that verse. And it can be understood two different ways, and both are correct, but I think one really drives home the point. It could mean that God really, really loves us. He so loves us that he gave his only son, emphasizing the intensity of God's love. It's like when you ask your child, hey, how big was it? Oh, it was so big, right? Or the word so could refer to the demonstration of God's love. And this is reflected in a couple other translations clear. Look at the CSB and the NLT. Uh, the CSB says, For God loved the world in this way he gave his one and only Son. And the NLT says, For this is how God loved the world he gave his one and only Son. Jesus' death is a demonstration of God's love. It doesn't diminish the intensity but it shows us his love was demonstrated in a real, in a tangible way. For God loved the world in this way he gave. And the proof of God's love is that he acted on it. So how do we know someone loves us? Well, they could whisper those three magic words in your ear, I love you. And the first time that happens, man, your heart explodes, you, you get goosebumps, your hair stands straight up, and it is marvelous. But those words are not only the reason that we know someone loves us. In fact, they're probably not the main reason that we know we're loved. We've had some conversations around my dinner table with my boys and I remember one specifically when my wife asked my boys, how do you know daddy loves you? Not a single one of them said because he told me so. And I tell them every day when I say goodnight, I say, man, I love you guys. When I leave for home, I say, I love you guys. They didn't say that at all. What they said was, well, you know, he plays video games with us or he takes me here. Or he bought me this or, you know, it's all of these demonstrations of my love. My little girl is super expressive in her love. She tells us all the time. Uh, you know, Daddy, I love you. Mommy, I love you. But she always does it, and I've noticed this, when we're doing something with her or for her. When we're having quality time, we're like in the middle of the movie, and she's just like, you know, bubbling with love, I guess, in the middle of the movie, and she comes and she interrupts the movie, and she says, Daddy, yes, yes, baby, I love you. I was like, oh, okay, thanks, I love you too. <laughs> Main point here. I'll buy her a Wendy, like at Wendy's, we're all, anytime we're together, she's like, oh, I love you. I was like, okay, you're welcome for the cheeseburger. <laughs> but it's me demonstrating, and she feels it, right? God's love for the world is remarkable, not because the world is so big, and don't miss this, it's because the world's so bad. That's why God's love's remarkable. We didn't deserve his love. We didn't earn it. We were rebels against God, yet God still gave us the gift of his son. God's righteousness was on display at the cross. God's wrath was displayed on the cross. God's jealousy was displayed on the cross. And God's love was displayed on the cross. His holiness and hatred for sin were seen in the severity of the punishment. And when Jesus took upon himself the punishment our sin demanded, he testifies to the world that God is absolutely and unquestionably righteous. So let's never doubt the love of God. 
You were not on the cross. God's own son hung there. You did not pay that terrible price. Jesus did. And so we learn that God loves you. He created you in his image, unique from anything else in creation. He is real and wants you to know him. And next is the divided symbol. Sin separates you. Because not trusting God and ignoring his ways is called sin in the Bible. And sin damages relationships with people and with God. Sin leads to eternal death. And we see this clear in Romans 3.23. One of my favorite verses to go to. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person has fallen short of God's glory. Compared to other people, you might actually feel pretty good about yourself. Right? Guilty of that. But you're not asked to compare yourself to other people. Your plumb line is God's standard. He even gave us some laws to follow. Say, here's ten laws. Try to keep those. Fail, fail, fail. Ever since the first human stepped on planet Earth, Adam, we have missed the mark constantly, constantly. Now, I thought it would be helpful, big experiment, okay? I thought it would be helpful to share a list of sins that we don't think are sins. Because I think we're going to, think, I think the point of this verse has become clearer when I read these. This is a list of, of things that we tend to justify in our life, okay? So brace yourself, it's coming. I want you to feel for just a brief second how easily it is to constantly fall short of the standard of our loving Creator. Now this exercise, it's either going to convict you and urge you into salvation, or it will cause your heart to soar and worship our Creator even more, and you're going to think, my goodness, God is so great and so loving and so forgiving, and you're going to rush to the prayer ministry at the end and say, I want whatever God has for me. Praise God. Pray with me. I'm not going to read the big obvious sins, okay? Because we might miss the point of this verse if I do that. So here's the list of ways that we fall short and tend to justify that it's okay. Holding grudges. I got some verses there if you want to look them up. Justifying wrong attitudes. Putting your desire first before God. Feeling annoyed over the success of others. Getting hurt easily and reacting out of the hurt. Underpaying or taking advantage of others' work. Skimping on the work that you're being paid to do. Criticizing the fault secretly and outwardly. Focusing on the cares of the world. Putting your full attention and trust in the things of the world like money, power, possessions, and image. And finally, gossiping and speaking unkindly of those not present. Are we okay? Okay. I warned you. We are not just a little naughty. We are not just a little mischievous. We have fallen way, way short of God's standard. And this is why we need God's saving righteousness. Now look, understand, following the rules cannot save you. Okay? In fact, the spirit of legalism crushes people. It doesn't liberate them. It's a false gospel. And following any set of religious rules uh, as a means of gaining salvation is not the gospel. I, look, I still hear... Um, Different, different folks preaching a Jesus plus something else gospel. It's not the gospel. 
Mike Bird states this point provocatively. I want to share this quote with you. He says, in my short time as a follower of Jesus, I've had people tell me that in order to be saved, I need to speak in tongues, partake of some sacrament, only read the King James Bible, subscribe to a certain confession, believe in this diagram of the end times, jump through a dozen other hoops that seem to serve the purpose of validating the rantings of some lunatic with an opinion and a desperate desire to force it onto others. Fortunately for me, I was well discipled by Christian leaders and attend churches where the pastors were committed to biblical preaching, so I never got suckered into the Jesus plus stairway to salvation. But sadly, so many do. Amen for a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. So God loves you. Sin separates you. Jesus rescues you. At the cross, Jesus took your place and paid the penalty that your sins deserved. He secured eternal life by conquering death through the resurrection. Our God is not a distant or remote God. He is full of love and personally involved in our redemption. He did not spin the world off and say, good luck. He says, I'm going to be very, very aware and involved in what's going on. In the book of Romans, Paul underlines two truths regarding the greatness of God's love displayed on the cross. And I want to share those with you. The first is the greatness of God's love is displayed in the cost of it. The greatness of God's love is displayed in the cost of it. We see this in Romans 5.8. It says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love was not a sentimental kind of love. God did not merely say that He loved sinners, but He acted on their behalf by putting Christ in their place. And Jesus willingly gave himself up paying that price. That we will never fully comprehend. We won't. We try, my goodness, every Sunday we try to comprehend the, the greatness of that, that price that was paid. He would leave heaven and come to earth. He would live a sinless life. He would be betrayed. He would be abandoned. He would be tortured. And he would endure the Father's wrath in place of those who deserved it. Genuine love's always sacrificial. Secondly, the greatness of God's love is displayed in our unworthiness of it. If you back up a couple verses, it says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were unable to save ourselves. We were helpless when at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And not only were we ungodly, but verse 8 says that we're sinners. And then verse 9 and 10 go on to remind us that we're enemies of God. God's love is so uncommon Christ didn't die for a good person, and he compares it to maybe you would take a bullet for a national hero, maybe. But you're not dying for a serial killer. Christ died for his enemies. How uncommon. For people who didn't deserve to be saved and sinners who would have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, know a love like no other. God's love for you is displayed in creation and on the cross through Christ 
but sin has divided you from God. Sin enters the world. Uh, Adam was kicked out of the garden. Death comes screaming into humanity as the first murder was committed by Cain. And in God's perfect plan, Jesus becomes our rescuer by paying the penalty of death that we owed God. What will you do with all this information? That's the final symbol. It's the question, a question mark. Will you trust Jesus? This involves agreeing that you're sinful, turning away from your wrong view of who you think Jesus is, believe and confess that He is Lord, and surrender your life to Him. And it is beautiful. Listen to John 1.12 as we finish up. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. From enemies to children. It is an uncommon love like no other. And when we change our mind about who Jesus is and He rescues us, we become children of God. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins, His enemies are now brought into the family of God and our lives are radically altered in that moment. By our position in God's family, we don't need to fear the future anymore because we are going to the Father's house. We can stop worrying about whether our needs on this earth will be met because our Father gives good gifts to His children. We don't need to be anxious about our 401k because we recognize that our inheritance is not in earthly banks but in the heavenly realm. Our hope, our expectation is not in this world because someday as a child of the King, we're going to shine like the sun in our Father's kingdom, says Matthew 13, 43. Will you reject Jesus or will you receive him? That's the question. Will you, what will you do with Jesus? Here's how I want to conclude these, these welcome cards. Believers, here's what I want to ask you. If you are a believer, if you're a Christian, if you say, that gospel, man, I have believed it, I am a, in, I affirm it, and I want to share it with someone. Hey, who are you praying for? Who are your for? There's a, a special spot for this. In the back of that card, it says, I'm praying for the salvation of. In 2024, who do you want to pray for every single day? Who do you want to see in the kingdom of God? Who do you want to know Jesus? Who do you want to become saved? Pray for them. Go ahead and put that on that line right there. Or maybe um, you have a New Year's resolution. I always like to, you know, we have the New Year's resolutions. We want to eat better. We want to lose weight. We want to do this, work out, blah, blah, blah. I always pick a spiritual one. Also in, in, in a couple others. So I want to encourage you to pick a spiritual resolution. Here's mine. I'm going to share the gospel with more people than I did in 2023. And you can write that on that. What's next for me? That lower blank. Check that. You can write, I'm going to share the gospel or whatever your spiritual resolution is. And the staff will pray for you about that resolution. And hey, you can grab a bracelet on your way out and say, I'm going to use this tool. It is what it is. And I'm going to use this tool. And I'm going to share the gospel with folks. Maybe what's your next step? Maybe if you're still questioning God. Here's your next step. Let's settle that today. Okay? Here's what you can do. You can mark on this card, trust Jesus for the first time, or I'm ready to be baptized. You can come up front to this prayer team when they come up here, and you can receive prayer. Trevor will probably be up here. You can come talk to Trevor about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to get that done today. Don't leave. Don't go into 2024 not knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Man, I hope this tool has been helpful for everyone. 
I encourage you to receive prayer at the end of the service. I'm going to pray, and then Randy's going to come up and and start finishing the service for us. God, we are uh, grateful in Jesus' name that you gave us the gospel, and you've told us to share it with people. God, it's the Great Commission. We want to make disciples, and the first step is to evangelize. And God, I pray that, that in 2024 we would evangelize more folks. God, that it would be our personal burden as, as saints and, and children of this, and adopted children of this church, God, that, that you would give us uh, lots of opportunities to share the gospel. Amen. And God, make us bold. Oh, we chicken out so much, God. But God, we are, we are not ashamed of this gospel. We're not. We're going to move forward. We're going to preach the gospel boldly. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's Randy. Thank you, Jacob. Are y'all encouraged by what you heard this morning? That was fantastic. Um, we're going to uh, have an opportunity, the last opportunity of the year, to give joyfully to the Lord, and, uh, which he enjoys that. And uh, you know, one of the things that we try to do is to tie your giving to things that, that the Great Commission Church does together. And uh, one of those, we have some times designated throughout the year that are designed to kind of spiritually... Uh, impact us, and we had that recently at the Freedom Conference that many of you attended, and, and uh, our, our, our Savior came, he said, I came to set sinners free from their sins, uh, free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and, the, uh, and even the presence of sin eventually, but, but so I want to just read a couple of testimonies. I did not ask these people permission to read what they said God did at the conference, so I'm not going to mention any names, just kind of what they said, just a couple of them, and then, uh, and then we'll receive uh, the offering, but um, it, it, it's giving that makes these things possible. You can't put on a conference without going to some expense, and and uh, so your giving accomplished this. This someone who says, uh, a couple prayed for me at the end of the conference, and I was delivered from the spirit of anger that held me captive the past several years. Can you imagine that, being subject to anger all the time and being set free? I've been set free and experienced worship like I haven't in a long time this morning. I literally felt the spirit of anger leave my body and it has been replaced with the joy and peace of Christ. What has been the most powerful truth you learned from the Freedom Conference? How important it is to be honest before God and lay everything at his feet and leave it there. It took cleansing myself of things from the past to get me to the point where I could receive this healing. What did the Lord teach you at the Freedom Conference? That he has never given up on me or left me even when I felt like I couldn't connect with him. He has freed me and brought me back to himself. I've got a whole stack of these, but I only have two minutes total. So we're going to, as I pray, um, I'm going to have the, uh, the gentleman come forth and, uh, and also to receive the offering. And also your cards that, uh, that uh, Jacob mentioned a moment ago, put those in the bucket that has passed by too. If you have a request on there or your next step. If, if this presentation of the gospel seems so clear to you and it's never seemed clear to you before, well, it's probably an indication that God is dealing with your soul and wants to rescue you from sin. So you guys come forward while I pray and then we'll take the offering. Yeah. Father, thank you for just the power of your words. There is a power in the gospel message itself that is a living power because your spirit accompanies it. And takes those words and, and opens souls and pours in life. God, thank you for a giving church. Thank you for the ability and, and, and desire and joyfulness with which we can give, knowing that it is your will to come and seek and to save the lost, to build your kingdom, to make more disciples, more, make better disciples. God, thank you for the impact that you're having through 
our congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason Russell. I'm the youth pastor here. Just a few announcements before we're dismissed. Uh, if the prayer team will, will come forward, um, ladies and gentlemen, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, we don't want you to leave here. Uh, if you need prayer, if you need prayer for healing, if you need prayer for deliverance, if you need prayer for anything, we'd love to just um, ask God to do what only he can do for you. So please don't, um, you know, take advantage of that. We'd love to do that. A few things that we mentioned earlier. We've got our... Um, 29 Days of Promise coming up. We will have these for you on our first Wednesday, which is this Wednesday. It's going to be January 3rd. Uh, another announcement we've got is January 6th. That's when our GCC Basketball League finally starts. Awesome. And then finally, like I said, we're going to start our uh, 29 Days of Prayer. We're so excited for this. Hey, if you're new, if this is your first Sunday here, thank you for coming. I hope you had a great Sunday. We'd love for you to stop by the uh, New Here kiosk, and we'd love to give you a little something. So, hey, as the prayer team is ready to accept you, uh, you are dismissed. Thank you for coming.